There's one very simple lesson to learn from this passage that we're going to look at this morning, and it's this. True faith receives its reward. Is anyone beyond the reach of God's grace and mercy? Is it possible that you might be, or so you imagine? Is there anyone better to turn to than the Lord when you are in despair and when you're desperate? What if it seems that God isn't interested in answering you? Every now and then the Bible throws up some very unexpected and somewhat bewildering exchanges between Jesus and those who come to him with a question or a request. And this one today in Matthew chapter 15 is perhaps one of the more strange conversations to, uh, as we would say in Liverpool, get your head round. What exactly is it that Jesus is doing and saying here in the way that he deals with this woman? Why does he respond to her the way that he does? What would he have us learn from it? For surely there are things here that we must learn, aren't there? Well, the location changes dramatically. Jesus travels right out of the land of Israel and he heads northwest towards the coastal towns of Tyre, and Sidon. It's a region which back then was known as Phoenicia. You'll know it today as Lebanon. By road, well we can't be quite sure uh, what route Jesus would have taken from Capernaum, but Tyre was probably at least 40 or 50 miles walk, so a journey probably of two or three days. And Sidon was another 25 miles up the coast from Tyre. Tyre is an ancient place. It probably dates back at least 3,000 years BC. Features quite a lot in the Old Testament scriptures. You'll read of Tyre on quite a lot of occasions. Today, many old ruins still exist and they're part of a World Heritage Site. Sidon is of similar antiquity. Yet you won't be surprised to know that today both towns have a branch of McDonald's. (laughs) Where isn't the one? But this is very much Gentile territory that Jesus has gone into, not the norm. And given what he says at verse 24, that he has come for the lost sheep from the house of Israel, it might seem a little curious that he should go off into this part of the world, right out of Israel. Well, perhaps he's done so for a time of proper rest and seclusion. Mark, in his gospel at chapter 7, he tells us that when he arrived at Tyre, Jesus entered a house and he wanted his whereabouts to be kept secret. So maybe it is for a time of rest and respite that Jesus has gone up into this region. But, Mark tells us, he could not be hidden. Even there, he was known, he was being spoken of, and people were seeking him out. And there definitely would have been Jews living in a town such as Tyre. 
And one person who'd heard of his presence amongst them was this unnamed Canaanite woman who comes and approaches him. So as a, a woman of Canaan, her family heritage, her ethnicity, as we would say today, uh, well, she was one of the original people groups from that region in the land of Canaan before Israel settled there. And so she was definitely a Gentile woman. And we're introduced to her as she comes to the Lord Jesus there, as you see at the end of verse 22. And I want us to, to try and learn three lessons this morning from this event that's recorded for us here. First of all, we see in this woman persistent faith. Persistent faith. Behold, a woman of Canaan. The phrase behold kind of emphasizes the unexpected nature of this woman's arrival and the interruption that she was to the things that Jesus had planned. And so, first of all, we notice three things. First of all, as you look at what she says to Jesus when she arrives, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. First of all, she comes as one who knows that she's undeserving. Have mercy on me. Some versions say, take pity on me. But I need, I need you to be merciful to me. She knows that she can make no claim upon Christ's help as if she has some merit or as if she somehow is worthy of it. No, I need this man to have mercy on me. She can only hope that he will look upon her with compassion and mercy. And that is how she approaches him. Secondly, she acknowledges him as Lord and Son of David. Now, where on earth has that come from, from this Gentile woman? Now, we can see how a Jew who knows his Old Testament might come up with things like that. But this woman? Well, the Bible leaves us guessing how it is that she felt it was right or knew it was right to address him in this way. So let's not try and, and come up with our own theories. But it, this surely is a big clue that despite the initial response from Jesus, there is more going on here than meets the eye. And thirdly, we see her desperate need. And for her, it's a spiritual need. And it's a need that requires a spiritual remedy. Her daughter is demon-possessed. And when that's the issue, well, who else does this woman have to turn to? Who knows what else she may have tried? But now she comes to Christ. And so I discover within this, this one verse here that this woman is just like me. She's completely undeserving. And she's needing to look, she's needing to come to, to God asking that, that he would look upon her and I need to come to God asking that he would look upon me with mercy and with compassion. And I discover that this woman is just like me and that I have a spiritual need that none but Christ can deal with. 
And so it is for you. I discover within this one verse that this woman is just like me and this woman is just like you. Here's the thing. She knows it. And she is crying out to Jesus. But what about you? And to our astonishment, it seems as if Jesus completely ignores her. Look at verse 23. He answered her not a word. Is he just ignoring this woman? Well, of course, the text actually doesn't say he ignored her. It just says he didn't answer her. And not answering is not necessarily the same thing as ignoring. Maybe he's waiting. The disciples, probably unsurprisingly, show their rather indignant side. Unfortunately, they're quite good at this. It's, obviously, it's obvious she's been making these repeated requests. She cries out after us, they say, at the end of verse 23. And, uh, and for them, well, she's just becoming an absolute nuisance. Uh, it's just becoming intolerable. Well, too often and too quickly, sometimes too easily, uh, those who follow Christ can fall so far short of his compassion and mercy that onlookers might rightfully question whether they really are Christians or worse, conclude that this Christianity thing and this Jesus is completely bogus. Because, well, just look at the state of those who are following him. It's worth pausing to consider whether or not there might be something of his disciples in us. Are there those who we would too easily want to marginalize or just dismiss? You don't want to be bothered with the likes of them. Certainly not pursue them with the gospel for the sake of the gospel, perhaps. And for those of you who are not saved, do not let the imperfect followers of Christ be your excuse for rejecting the one in whom none of their imperfections are found. Because ultimately it is Christ you need. It is Christ you need to turn to. And what we discover actually is that Jesus declines the request of the disciples because their request is for him to dismiss this woman and send her away, but he doesn't. So he actually refuses the request of his disciples and instead he now chooses to respond to the woman. Can you see as we make our way through this, there's, there's actually a progression developing between Jesus and this woman as things move forward. At first it may seem that Jesus is being insensitive, might we even say cruel towards this woman? But no, actually Jesus is taking this woman very seriously indeed. Her need is very great. 
Her daughter's life is precarious. Her daughter's life is painful to observe. And for this woman, surely it feels as if her own life is falling apart because of it. And she's felt completely helpless until she came face to face with this one man who surely can help her. Many of the commentators acknowledge that as this woman's heartache brings her to Christ, there's a deep lesson that Christ's disciples must learn from this encounter that's taking place here. And it's interesting, isn't it? It's, it's her heartache that's brought her to Christ. All of your heartaches should cause you to turn to Christ. And Jesus says to the woman, you see it there in verse 24, I am firstly Israel's Messiah, and so my ministry to begin with is for them. I'm here for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They're, they're my first priority. Uh, we can perhaps hear the disciples muttering away in the background, exactly Jesus, so get rid of her. That's, that's their attitude. But we discover that even with that answer, this woman persists. Because true faith persists. True faith keeps on asking, keeps on seeking, keeps on knocking. And this woman does. And she's not going to be disappointed. What does she not do? What does she not say? She doesn't shrug her shoulders and say, oh well, it was worth a try. And turn around and go home. No, she presses Jesus. And she presses him. Because that's what true faith does. Now, if she had just turned, and ra- turned around and gone home, maybe that would have been the end of it. But true faith persists. And we're told that she comes and worships Jesus, which probably implies that she fell at his feet. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Surely you will help even me. That's her heart. That's her plea. I I kind of find myself imagining Jesus having to steal himself just at that moment so that he didn't break out into a tender smile. Not just yet. As he hears these woman's words. And surely... Actually, Jesus is is drawing this woman to himself as he brings out from her the persistence of her faith. And his questioning might seem harsh, but he actually has no intention of turning her away. And his disciples need to witness this. Yes, he's come to the house of Israel, for the house of Israel, but... But, what if one who is not of Israel comes to him like this? What then will Jesus do? Well, still at this moment, Jesus does not respond to the woman's request. But what he does do 
is deepen even further the dialogue that he has with her. What, what is it that she understands? Let's, let's see. What is it that his disciples need to understand? What is it that you and I need to understand? That this Gentile woman can teach us in her coming to Christ. Well, we see secondly that delay deepens faith. You might think that's strange. Surely the delay is going to put this woman off. Surely the delay in Christ is going to cause this woman to doubt, but it doesn't. And we see that the delay actually deepens faith. In verses 26 and 27, as this dialogue progresses, now Jesus says something that many people would find completely crushing. What did you just call me? Jesus pictures a family dining table, and underneath the table is that family's beloved pet pooch. Now, back in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, Jesus talks there about dogs. Um, and he talks about not giving that which is holy to the dogs. And the Greek word that is used there for a dog is a word that would have been used to describe a wild, snarling hound of a dog. The word that's used here is not the same word. It's the kind of word that you would use to speak of a puppy dog or a family pet. So it's not quite as bad as it could be, but not many women would appreciate being likened to a dog. Not many men would, but not many women would. His point, of course, which the woman seems to understand, is that Israel have a very special place in God's purposes. And it would not be right to give to the Gentiles the blessings which are intended for Israel. That's what he talks about. We wouldn't give the bread that's for the people of Israel to the Gentiles. Possibly the disciples would have been a bit more encouraged initially by that answer. That's more like it, Jesus. She needs to be put in her place. You tell her. She's not of Israel. Uh, but you see, Jesus is drawing true faith out of this woman. And we see that in how she responds. He knows that within the heart of this woman is the kind of response that all of those in Israel ought to be displaying. All the things that Israel have heard him teach, all of the miracles that they've witnessed with their own eyes, of which this Gentile woman knows nothing, we presume, or may have only heard rumours. Now Jesus, of course, knows that through him, his Father intends to bring the blessing of redemption and salvation to the whole world, and not just to Israel. Of course Jesus knows and understands all of that. What the disciples have not yet grasped is that it doesn't matter one jot who you are, where you've come from, what your ethnic or religious background is. There is only one way that any man or woman must come to God. 
And that is how this woman is bringing her need and her request to Christ. Now even here, he still for a moment holds back from granting this woman's request. But all the time, her faith in Christ is growing stronger and clearer. This woman's suffering is going to be the richest source of blessing for her. Would she have come to Christ if her daughter had never been ill? Would she ever have been brought so low and made so humble before Christ had her daughter never been possessed of demons? Would she ever have considered that she had nowhere else to turn but to Jesus if this great affliction had not come upon her and upon her family? Do not despise trials and afflictions because in them and through them God may yet have the richest blessings in store for you. What joy and peace awaits this woman but first she must toil under sorrow. So often this is God's way. It's time for a J.C. Ryle quote, I think. He said this, Trials are intended to make us think. Now for most of us, too often, in trials, it all becomes about how it makes me feel doesn't it? Isn't that interesting what Ra says? Trials are intended to make me think, to wean us from the world, to send us to the Bible, to drive us to our knees. Health is a good thing, but sickness is far better if it leads us to God. Prosperity is a great mercy, but adversity is a far greater one if it brings us to Christ. Anything, anything is better than living in carelessness and dying in sin. Better a thousand times to be afflicted like this mother and like her to flee to Christ than live a life of ease. He's right, you know. And look at this woman's answer. It is quite remarkable what she says. She shows complete humility. Yes, Jesus, she says. Before you, I am just like a little dog before its master. That's me. I could never dare to claim any kind of greatness or merit above that before you. And I'm not even going to try and yet, that little dog will be provided for because of the greatness and the love of its master. And because of the richness even of the crumbs. Because even the crumbs from this table, from this table, are more than sufficient. Even the crumbs from this table are more than sufficient. Wow. 
where's this come from in this woman? If God is not working in her heart. Such a master as this will not permit me to starve, but will feed me, even me. Not because of who I am, but because of who he is. There's been quite a delay to get to this point. But what a point worth getting to. Isn't that the whole issue here? There may have been some seemingly hard questions to get to this point. There may have been some seemingly harsh words spoken. But what a point to get to. With what clarity of heart and mind and with what hope and trust this woman now speaks before Christ. And surely now that tender smile breaks upon Christ's face as he looks at this woman. This is what he wants to hear. This is what it's all about. And it concludes with our third and final point at verse 28. True faith always receives, receives its reward. Oh woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed that very hour. Did you know that when you read through the Gospels, the only time you'll hear Jesus commend someone's faith like this is when he's speaking to Gentiles. Like the Roman centurion whose servant was dying. I can almost imagine Jesus turning to his disciples and saying, this is what it's all about, fellas. This is what I'm looking for. Yes, I've come first of all to Israel because I must. But this is what's needed no matter who you are or where you're from. If you have faith like this, Actually, being a Jew or being a Gentile is irrelevant. This is what it's all about. Do you have faith in Christ this morning? Have you simply come to him and acknowledging your great need? Lord, I, there's nowhere else I can turn but to you. Because look, this, this woman's faith receives her, her, its reward. Her daughter is healed. And yes, she's had to wait. But Jesus has led her so that she's been able to give this full declaration of her faith. She's been able to show her great humility of heart before the Saviour. Her understanding that even the crumbs that fall from this man's table are more than she could ever need. Because he is the Lord. Because he is the Son of David. Because he is the man who is God. I said right at the start, she can only hope that he will look upon her with compassion and with mercy. He's been doing that from the very beginning. From the very start. That's how he's been looking upon her. But there are lessons that need to be learned. And there is truth and faith to be drawn out and to be established. Now listen, this great faith that Jesus says this woman has. What, what is great faith? What does it mean to have great faith? Does that mean that you have to attain a certain measure of faith, 
a certain level of faith. And only once you have enough of it, only once you've reached that level, only then will you get anything from God. No, it's not quantity of faith that counts, it's certainty of faith. You can be certain of Jesus. Are you? It's not the size of your faith that counts, it's the single focus of your faith. It's about putting your trust in this Lord Jesus. Have you? It's not strength of faith that counts, it's persevering faith that counts. Don't give up on him, because guess what? He will never give up on you. It wasn't faith that healed this woman's daughter. It was Christ. It isn't faith that will bring you salvation and forgiveness. It's Christ. Faith is how it becomes yours and faith is what links you to him. But it's all of him. This woman didn't have faith that her faith would make her daughter well. This woman had faith that Christ would make her daughter well. You need to have faith that Christ will save you, that he will heal you, that he will forgive you, that he will receive you. This woman didn't have faith which made her confident in her faith. This woman had faith which made her confident in Christ. This is great faith. This is the faith you need. It's an unshakable, persevering, ever-believing, always trusting, simple faith. Because its object is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's special about this faith. It's faith in him. It's trusting him. It's leaving everything that I might have him. That's what makes this faith great. And sometimes it may feel as if the Lord is making you wait. But faith like this always receives its reward. Because he is always the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It was so for this woman on this day. And it will be for you. If you will seek him with all your heart. Flee to Christ. Fall at Christ's feet. Acknowledge all of your great need in all of your great sin. Turn to the one who alone can save you. Put all your trust in him. And you will be saved. If you've never done that before, do it now. And if you've done it before, just keep on doing it and always have this assurance that you belong to him 
and that you have his tender smile looking down upon you. Will you not receive him? Will you not know him? Will you not love and serve him? There's a great reward for those who come to Christ in true faith.